un poquito Villa, suelta bien, aquí viene Márquez, del otro lado, solo Cuauhtémoc, Cuauhtémoc, suya, 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 suya. Welcome to another episode of Colorful Kid Podcast. It's going to be a really busy summer. A lot of CONCACAF, a lot of MLS, a lot of League MX. Who knows how many other leagues are going on. Um, we got my man John Arnold here. John, how's it going? It's good, man. I'm getting ready. I'm excited. Uh, you know, it's 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 pleasant to be covering soccer. It's pleasant to be watching Mexico again, watching Liga Mekis, et cetera, et cetera. But it is going to be busy trying to keep up with it. So uh, it's going to be fun, but I'm also going to be running on very little sleep for most of the summer. So you're catching me at a good time. Is Mexico still doing um, their, they got what, two games in Texas before the summer at some point? I know they signed a deal where they have to play at least two or three games every summer through Well, yeah, it's one game a year in DFW, which they're doing this weekend against Iceland. I'm actually going to be headed over to Mexico training here in a couple hours. I doubt I'll be able to see too much, but, uh, you know, you know how it is. Uh, they, they like to keep it close to the vest. But, yeah, so they've got that one game in Dallas, and then either coincidentally or because Mexico put the pressure on CONCACAF, whatever you want to believe, they're based in Dallas for the entire group stage. And then if they make the semifinals, would come back to Texas. So Mexico fans in Texas are going to have several opportunities to see their team play, including two games at the Cotton Bowl, the historic Cotton Bowl. It's not shiny, new, modern, but it is awesome. It's a great venue. And they got a game there against El Salvador. They got a game there against Curacao. And both of those games should be pretty darn good. So I'm looking forward to the atmosphere there. But uh, yeah, there's no lack, especially if you're a DFW resident, there's no lack of chances to CL3. Uh, the Cotton Bowl is at the, the stadium that Hugo Sanchez built with, with FC, <laughs> oh, the Dallas Burn. <laughs> yes, he did. I mean, he did play there in 1996, 94. Like the World Cup is kind of the, 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 the soccer touchstone most people have. There's also a weird Real Madrid friendly AC Milan that Cristiano Ronaldo didn't play in, but everyone just started running on the pitch to take selfies with him. That was like, oh, God. like 2013, 2014. That's not, that's not as historic as Hugo Sanchez in the 1994 World Cup, but you know, th- there have been some soccer moments there. <laughs> <laughs> Well, speaking of MLS, Chicharito, what what is going on there? I mean, I know last year I trashed the the Galaxy. I know people were, obviously people always trash Chicharito because it's so hard, but I was like, dude, he has no one. That team was just in shambles last year, and now it's like they're just running. On, they're just like what second place in the league. He's got he's got six goals, one assist. Oh, sorry, seven goals, one assist in six games. Like it's just wild. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that Greg Vanny being the coach there gave the team some structure that they needed. Uh, And, you know, Chicharito had a really, really shit year last year, right? Like, I know we all did, but there was the personal stuff that I'm sure people know listening to this know about. And that's hard for anybody, right? That's hard for a human being. And then you had, you know, some other issues and his, you know, his grandfather passed, just general pandemic stuff. So I think you saw Chicharito... You know, he had a, he's, he's back, you know, he's, he's just back. He's in a good situation. His head's in the right place. And yeah, like you're saying, like the team is better around him. I think that he's being asked to do something that fits him better and also has the time, you know, in training. Like last year, I don't think people kind of realized just how difficult it was for some of these teams. Like they were legitimately not training. Like they would play a game on Wednesday 
And with COVID restrictions, you know, fly back immediately. But then, you know, your Thursday session's recovery. And then you got another game Saturday. So your Friday session is like game plan, maybe do a couple drills. But like, you know, how can you really get your tactics in place when you're playing Wednesday, Saturday, Wednesday, Saturday, Wednesday, Saturday? It's tough. So, you know, this year I think is a lot easier for players to get adapted. And I think Chicharito is a guy who obviously we know how smart he is. We know how well he likes to understand what his teammates are doing to read the play to see the build up and how it's forming because that's how he gets in the right place to be that quote-unquote poacher where he's always in the right place at the right time well he's in the right place at the right time because he understands what's happening but when he doesn't have that chance to know what his teammates are looking for and those sorts of things it doesn't it doesn't come off so i think it's been a, a good good year for chicharito obviously and uh i think it'll continue i wouldn't be surprised to see him hit 20 goals yeah, I, yeah, you're right. I don't think people realize how little there was training last year. Like, it's just, like, I, I follow the fire pretty closely, and, you know, they, they they got a bunch of guys right before COVID, and some of these guys were literally just, they got they signed with the club two weeks before COVID, no training sessions, were by themselves in their hotel, essentially, for four months, and it's, it was just rough. And Chicharito joined them at the, what, the end of the transfer with us, so he joined them, you know, right middle of January, end of January. And... Yeah. I think he had the two games where it was like the two games in February and then pandemic froze the league and then everyone's just sitting at home training on their own, et cetera. And he's dealing with this personal stuff. And like you said, like in a new atmosphere and, you know, look like if you watch like the vlogs and stuff, like it seems like they all move there as a crew. And then when your crew falls apart, you know, I don't know. I don't know. Did he have to change leases? I'm not sure. I'm not sure about that kind of stuff. But like, those are the little things that like, they do affect you, right? They do change your life and make things difficult. So, yeah, and let's not forget that team was terrible last year. Right. It was just, it was just bad. Like I, I watched them because you know Mexico fan. I watched them because they got Chicharito, they got Jonah, they got Efren Alvarez. Alvarez barely played. Jonah was hurt a lot, and Chicharito was just out of it. And it's just, it just seemed like last year was just a lost season for the Galaxy. No, for sure. I mean, I think that this year you see them, hopefully for them, returning to what that club has historically been, a title contender, a team that's going to be able to to do things in the playoffs, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So, look, I think it's all good news for, for, for Chicharito, except for the fact that he's on the national team right now for reasons that are somewhat unclear. So, you know, and, and look, like if you're a Mexico fan, of course you're going to be watching the Galaxy because Jonah looks great, uh, Efrain looks promising. But, you know, I, I think it is well, that, uh, in the room of, like, of, like, why is Chicharito not back with L3? Well, that and uh, MLS puts them on national TV every weekend. so It's easy to find them. <laughs> it's easy to find them. <clears throat> it's very easy to find Chicharito games in, uh, every weekend. Just look it up. It's either on FS1 or ESPN. <laughs> it's just there. Um, yeah, so what do you think about the national team? I mean, we kind of got confirmation that Raul Jimenez is not going to play any part with 03 this summer. I mean, are we really going to ride or die with Polito, Henry Martin, and what else? I mean, I don't, what else? Yes. The answer, I think, is yes. There is, a, there is a window for Chicharito to get into the Gold Cup squad. Martino said, hey, when we did the provisional for the CONCAF Nations League, we hadn't yet had an opportunity to see the good form that Chicharito has started the season and the form that we're talking about. So... And he also said that the doors are still open, that he, he's not going to say that he won't call Chicharito. But when he was asked about the whole disciplinary thing, the New York incident, Tata said, essentially, hey, 
even if it were something like that, I wouldn't tell you. Like the discipline stuff stays within the team. I'm not going to go talking about that. And so if there is something more, we'll know it soon because when you look at this roster with Raul, you know, thank goodness, like able to play soccer again, able to recover and like sounds like he's going to have a, a continued career and a continued like healthy life without headaches every five minutes and stuff like that that can come with that sort of serious injury that he took. You also, you know, that that's great, but he's not going to be with Mexico this summer. Then you have, yeah, Henry Martin, who I think starts this weekend against Iceland because Pulido still was sporting Kansas City. Pulido and, like, Alexis Vega, like, I mean, I don't know. Those are not forwards that put fear in the heart of even the U.S. central defenders, right? So, you know, it, it is a situation where I think that's the biggest question for Tata Martino, you know, going into this summer is what the heck are you going to do at central forward? Because if he doesn't call in Chicharito, it doesn't seem like there's an amazing fit there. Like, if they don't call in Chicharito, his national team career is over. Because if you think about it, when will they need him the most? Right now. Like, this is when they would need him, you know? Right. And like, in theory, is... Macias comes and replaces him. Or someone else from, you know, Santi Munoz, the, you know, very young kid. But, like, he comes in and replaces him. Like, there are other guys in the pipeline you think, hopefully, they're, you know, for even 2022, but certainly 2026. Like, hopefully, they've surpassed Chicharito. If you're a Mexico fan, you know that you see that there is that progression. There is that sort of natural generational change that we see like in the midfield, right? Where, okay, Andres Guardado and Hector Herrera, maybe you're going to play their last World Cup cycle. But you say, ah, we're, we're going to be in good hands, health dependence with like Guti and Charlie, right? Or even Jonah maybe at the next World Cup or something like that. You know, that's the situation where that's the ideal situation. But at central forward, there's not necessarily that progression yet. So... Yeah, absolutely. This well, this is Chicharito's. The Olympic squad kind of complicates that too, right? The Olympic squad. Yeah. The the forward like all the forwards you kind of mentioned, they would be on the Olympic squad. You know? Absolutely. So it's like the roster is kind of split up there, you know. Yeah, and I think that in some ways Tata Martino's love and and affection for the Olympics has complicated things because he very clearly wants like a guy like Macias, so they didn't have the year that that everyone would have hoped at Chivas and like really break out. Like I think people were crossing their fingers that he would still a good player still you know has a lot of potential and i think still could stand out this summer like if martino wasn't as rigorous as he is you could have macias at this camp play nations league and then join the olympics in august right the olympics are not they're, they're around the corner but they're not next week nations league is next week right as we're talking uh, we're recording this on friday you know before the nations league and so but the friendly start next week for the U20. They have, they so, have so because of that, because of trying to keep this team together and be and put this priority on the Olympics, you have guys like, like you know, even Linus in the same boat where it's like, eh, maybe he could help the top, like the senior team, but then he's quote unquote not available, even though technically he is available. You're just choosing not to call him in, right? I get it. I think it's actually a pretty good strategy, but it's like. Martino clearly, clearly, and Mexico as a whole, right after the 2012 triumph and everything, like clearly has a, a lot of respect and priority for the Olympics, which is good, but I think creates problems for yourself. Well, in the Gold Cup, I mean, let's just be honest, it doesn't mean anything. Like, off your there's Gold no Cup. Ticket, there's no ticket for the Confederations Cup because that's dead. Uh, you got the Nations League literally two weeks before the Gold Cup. So it's like, usually you can at least say the Gold Cup, oh, you're the best team in the region. Well, we just decided that with the Nations League. So it's like, 
and then you got the World Cup cycle starting up in September. So yeah, I, I think the Gold Cup, like I've I've long said, it would be better if you did it every four years. It makes so much money that Concacaf isn't going to do that. I don't think, maybe ever, but. It would be a better tournament if it just happened every four years. Like the Asian Cup, like the Euros, Copa America is going in the wrong direction. They're trying to do it like every two years now. And even though their situation looks real bad right now, pandemic-wise, they're just going to forge ahead. But yeah, uh, No fans, I guess, in Argentina is the latest. That's what it sounds like, man, which is going to be a big bummer. It's going to be hard to feel like an exciting continental championship when no one's watching. But, yeah, you know, that's a little off topic. Gold Cup, I think they should do it every four years. This year, yeah, sure, there's still some value in it. It's still a continental championship. It's still a trophy. I think it would mean it would mean a whole lot to a team like Canada, right, if they could win, or, or Curacao, or Jamaica, which has been in the final twice. Like, if one of those countries could win it for the fir- first time since 2000, Canada won in 2000 every other time has been won by the U.S. or Mexico. If one of those other countries could win it, it would be enormous and mean everything. But for the U.S. and Mexico, it's like, cool put this thing on the shelf we've already got several of these we're the best yeah, we beat this... you mexico we beat you us ha 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 and then it's yeah. like the real matches come in qualifying so it is an awkward year for the gold cup but at the same time i think it's going to be a <laughs> it's going to be awesome it's going to be a release right just to be able to be in stadiums watching national team games again quote unquote meaningful national team games i'm really looking forward to it and of course like you know me like i get into the obscure like bermuda and you know some of these other countries so It'll be it'll be good for those countries and and nice to have them. That's why in my my dream world where we only do the Gold Cup every four years, the off years we do sort of a tournament for like the B teams. Asia does this actually. They have the they call it like the Challenge Cup, I think it's called, and they have you know your top teams go to the Asian Cup, and then those teams that need more more games, need more development, that are getting help from things like the Nations League, they go into a different tournament every every two years and try and get more games and have more national team competition. So a little off topic for Mexico, which is sitting at the top of the heap, but you know. Uh, I mean, that's kind of what Mexico and the United States kind of treated like the old, uh, old off year gold cups. They were kind of send U 23, U 25 squads, you know, like when, if they already won the first gold cup in that cycle for the confed spot, they were kind of treated like a B tournament, you know? Until CONCACAF kind of stepped in and said, like, you can't do that yeah. pretty much. No, and you have to prioritize your own confederation, right? Yeah. Yeah, and then with CONCACAF coming down and saying, no, you have to send your A squad to the Gold Cup, and you have to send your B squad to the Copa America, back when Mexico would do that every every once in a while. Oh, absolutely. But you get it, right? I mean, the competition should be, your top regional competition should be the top teams it should be a teams right and i think especially as big of a draw as mexico is and look like legitimately like i said like it sounds like cynical to say like ah it makes a lot of money for concap so they're not going to change it but that's the reality is that this is the biggest financial driver for the confederation and look as much as we want to say like ah greedy ah money grubbing like whatever especially if we want things to be cleaned up like we do the money has to come from somewhere and there are like TV contracts, right? Exactly. There are TV contracts, et cetera, et cetera. But also like this summer's gold cup will be an economic boost for a confederation that hasn't had an economic boost in several years because of the pandemic. Right. So. Well, in line with that, let's talk a little Liga MX MLS. Um, we talked about how we just said, you know, you got to support your own confederation. That kind of goes in with why Liga MX isn't doing uh, Copa Libertadores, right? 
It does. It does. Although I think that CONCACAF and like the, the, the MLS partnership, I think is also a convenient boogeyman for Mexican authorities because they can say, ah, well, we're not in Libertadores because of, of those guys, but they're also not in Libertadores because of themselves. Right. Like in some ways, yeah, CONCACAF says, hey, you have to send your best teams to CCL or else we boot you uh, and, and, and the like and similar things. But in other ways, like Mexico could still work something out with the Libertadores and chooses not to. And, Liber- and you know, Conmebol also has to say like, yes, come back. We want you. They would because of the TV money. Again, yeah, the TV it's money all about the up. money. But, yeah. you know, at the same time, especially now in the pandemic, yeah, of course, we figured out a way where like teams – well, now in, in Conmebol, teams get vaccinated by the Chinese vaccine that the that was donated to Conmebol. But, you know, I think the pandemic was a reminder that travel isn't always easy. And some of these distances that teams are covering, you know, I had the, the pleasure of covering Tijuana whenever they were in Libertadores, the 2013 tournament. And they were traveling from Tijuana, which is basically Southern California, you know, geographically, and in some ways culturally, but not always. Uh they were flying to Rio. They were flying to 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 Buenos Aires. They were flying to to these countries. It's far. It's far. It's really really far, and it's tough <laughs> yeah. to play these midweek games. And then all of a sudden, turn around, play your league campaign, etc. Like it's just really difficult. So, all that to say, logistically, it can be difficult. And I think that that a lot of times this partnership with MLS gets put out as the reason that Mexican teams are in the Libertadores right now. And I don't think it's so simple. I do think. The hope of Mexican teams returning to Libertadores is basically dead because with the expanded CONCACAF Champions League that's coming in two years, there will be CCL almost year-round, plus you have the domestic tournament, plus you have Copa Mekis, plus you have Leagues Cup, plus you have the summer friendlies that they do in the United States, and then you have things like Campeón de Campeones, Supercopa. There's just no space for these teams to be able to play these games as the CCL expands. So in some ways, I think, yeah, you can say, oh, it's CONCACAF's fault. But CONCACAF is doing this expansion to try and encourage competition between Mexican teams and MLS teams. And also to get the teams in Central America and the Caribbean to be better, to be able to compete and not just have it be a once every couple years thing like Olympia's run to the semifinals last year, then 2020 CCL, like Al Juvlense in 2013, 2014, if I'm not mistaken, I might be on that one uh but you know instead of these central american teams competing once in a blue moon how can we make it so that this is a tournament like the uefa champions league where although this year's an all-english final typically you see you know semifinals, quarterfinals with four or five six teams and look this isn't a problem that's unique to Concacaf because comables you know the libertadores round of 16 just got settled there's two paraguayan teams an ecuadorian team and a chilean team so 12 of the teams are from either Brazil or Argentina. So it's not simply a CONCACAF problem that you have, you know, one dominant federation and another one right there under it. It seems to be something that other places are dealing with too. So I do think that that, that dream of Mexico going back to the Libertadores probably stays in the past, which is too bad. It'd be fun, but I'm just not sure how logistically you make it happen at this point. Still can't believe Tigers didn't win. Uh, yeah. No, I mean... Uh, Man, <laughs> yeah, Gignac, Gignac lists the Libertadores, right? Like, and that's—I wow. mean, he's already did it all, but that's really yeah, doing it all. If he would have lifted that trophy, I think he 
I, it's just, I don't even know on a higher pedestal you can put him on, but wow. Just ascended <laughs> straight into soccer heaven. I mean, that, that was his first year. Yeah. Right? First, it, first full year of team. And, and I think, like, I... I you know, they were saying at the time, like, that was part of the reason is that he's just such a soccer lover that he wanted to play in Libertadores and, like, love that opportunity. And it certainly hit the ground running. So, yeah, that was, I believe, his very first tournament or first season, you know, whatever you want to call it. So, yeah, yeah, they almost did it. I mean, there are other teams that almost did it too, right? Uh, I, I think, like, especially, and that, that's the shame of it, is that especially if you did it now, where it looks like Mexican teams are maybe even stronger and Argentine teams particularly are even weaker. The Brazilian teams, I think they have good budgets right now. I think things are a little bit more organized. Maybe they give Mexican teams problems, give them a run for their money. But I think it really would be interesting to see now. I wouldn't count out the idea of some sort of, you know, I've said like, why not? Okay, look, you guys always want to hold these events. Why not do like a quote unquote, you know, final four or, or top eight where you send the semifinals from both CONCACAF tournament and the, and the Libertadores to one location. Club, Club World Cup. Essentially, well, and, and then with the expanded FIFA Club World yeah. Cup, like maybe we do see more of these matchups as well, but I wouldn't be surprised. Look, like CONCACAF and Comable, it seems like they're kind of frenemies right now. They did the 2016 Copa America Centenario together. Then the relationship's kind of sour. But there's no reason, like, look, the motivation is always cash, right? And there's no, there's there's money to be made. I say, let's take the top four teams. Because, again, we're talking about, hey, there's fixture congestion. There's too many games. Take the top four teams from each confederation. Fly them to one place, Miami. Next year, Buenos Aires. Next year, L.A. Next year, Sao Paulo. Whatever. And then have them play a mini tournament, right? It's only two weeks long. Basically do it like MLS is back or like the 2020 CONCACAF Champions League. Get in. Play the games. Get out. Fans in that city will be happy. Fans watching on TV will be happy. And then we actually do have a gauge of, hey, how far is Mexico from being the best league in the Americas? How far is MLS from being able to compete with Mexico? We already see that a lot. But also with Argentina, with Brazil. And yeah, maybe that, that it gets solved with the club, with the expanded Club World Cup. But I, I think that would be fun. I don't think it would be fun to make teams travel for six months across all sorts of different continents and do all the home games, et cetera, et cetera. I, I think that's... To me, that's something that doesn't make a lot of sense logistically, especially, like I said, with the unpleasant reminder that we had in 2020 that, hey, travel is not guaranteed. And look, even going back to like the Chapacoense disaster, it's a disaster. It's an outlier, but things are not always guaranteed. And I think you have to keep that in mind when you're trying to plan like a major expansion of something. Right. So. I mean, I think fans just would rather see Chivas versus Boca Junior on a Wednesday night than Chivas versus Columbus Crew. No, 100%. But listen, here's the thing that I also think gets lost in the discussion. It's the same thing that we're talking about with Leagues Cup, you know, with the MLS Liga Mekis matches. Yeah, it's going to be badass to see Galaxy versus America, Tigres versus, you know, LAFC or, or, or even Columbus, which is like a really good team and a fun team to watch. I get, I get what you're saying. But, like, don't forget that once you keep getting down the ranks, you're also going to end up with games like Colorado Rapids versus Pachuca. And that happened in Libertadores as well, right? Like, not all the games were Chivas Boca, Tigres River. Like, there are plenty of, you know, Tres de Octubre or whatever against (laughs) against Puebla. Like, Puebla had a run. Like, good for Puebla. Like, I'm not talking trash on Puebla. Like, great season this year, right? But, like, I, I do think that the commercial sort of, like, the sexiness of it that fans want and that marketers want and that advertisers want it wears off it wears off because once you start to really dig into it it's like yes i do want to see 
of course I want to see America vs. LA Galaxy or America vs. Boca Juniors. Do I want to see Toluca versus Universidad Católica de, de, de Chile? I do because I'm a sicko, but but that doesn't sell, right? Yeah. Not everyone wants to see we'll, that, right? We'll find a we'll find a brutal extreme and watch it. I'll watch it, but 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 I'm not healthy in that sense, right? So yeah, that that's that's where I think like, and that's that's not big budget, right? Which is what these clubs and advertisers and confederation heads are going for. So, well, we talked about Gignac. Uh, if I want to get your thoughts on Liga MX getting a, I can't I can't think of his name, but the World Cup winner joining up Gignac with Tigres? Uh, Flovin, Flovin Toron. Yes. Toron? Toron? Yeah. So what do you think about that in terms of, do you think uh, MLS is catching up? I don't want to say catching up. I'm not trying to say closing the gap here. <laughs> but I'm saying in terms of player recruitment, do you think they're making any inroads on getting those, you know, not, not the superstars. I know MLS is always going to have the advantage on getting those 32, 33-year-old plus guys coming back, coming to MLS those DPs, but like those, those guys, those, well, let's call it, I mean, people might not know on this podcast, but those TAM guys. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think Liga Mekis in a way, if they want to compete with MLS in that respect, they need more clubs like Tigres, right? Tigres put themselves on the map internationally. First of all, by paying and convincing Gignac to come. Now they have uh, Tovin and, you know, others, I think would be intrigued to come, right? And, they, and they've actually had others like Tim Afri, uh Andy Delore, who the uh, Algerian international now who like flopped, like it didn't work. And then he goes back yeah. to France. He's gone within like six months, right? It was like he, six months. He in- goes back to France and he's banging in goals. Like he's in like the, I think I'm, I might not, I'm not a French football expert clearly, but like, I think he was top 10 in Ligue 1 this year and scoring goals. So it's like, yeah. it's not, yeah, he, I saw his name and I was like, what? Yeah, yeah. That's the same guy. Like, and he, yeah, he's like playing in national, like Algeria's national team, and like doing well. So, you know, they need more Tigres. You need more players like that to be willing to come over. How do you coax them over with money and lifestyle? Right. That's where I think the MLS teams have a big advantage because players now believe that the, the lifestyle element in Monterrey is good, right? They've heard from Gignac. They've heard from from Pizarro. They've heard from other players. Uh, yeah, Monterrey is a cool place to live. You know, if you know Monterrey, like there's the kind of little, I don't, wanna, I don't know how to say this, like without being a little crass, but like there's like the rich person's like enclave. Oh, yeah. And that's where the players live and hang out and they love it and they all get together. You know, even Tigres Monterrey, like you have the crossover, but like players are hanging out. Their wives are hanging out. They're all having a good time. It's a good place to live, right? The thing is that Mexico has to convince people of that, right? The MLS teams don't. Everyone already thinks yeah. that LA is cool. Everyone already it's thinks that Miami advantage. is cool. Everyone thinks that New York yeah. is cool. Everyone thinks Chicago is cool. Now, again, if you're the Columbus crew, your recruitment is a little more difficult. You have to figure out, does Lucas L. Ryan want to come Whoa, whoa, whoa. Whoa, their new logo, they're a global club now. I don't know if you knew. <laughs> they're a global club, John. But they might not even know which club they're going to if they go to Columbus because they're like, are you all a crew? And they're like, eh, it's hard to explain. Maybe we are, maybe we aren't. And they're like, am, am I signing with the right team here? But, you know, it's maybe more difficult to convince a player from Europe or from abroad. Yeah, yeah, Columbus is cool. Even some places that are legitimately like good places to live and good places to visit that we know in the U.S. Like like Real Salt Lake, right? Salt Lake's beautiful. I think the, the lifestyle will be very chill there if you're a player. Uh, you're probably not familiar with Salt Lake City if you're, you know, lived in Paris your whole life and played in the Premier League, you know, 
But I think the MLS has its work done for it where people want to live in America. They want to go to NBA games like they like the culture. And Mexico doesn't have that built in. So you have to convince. You have to sell. And quite frankly, the league's globalization or internationalization efforts are poor. Right. They haven't done a good job telling their own story. They don't they don't speak English. Like, you know, like I'm not saying like people within the league don't speak English. I'm saying, you know, on on social media. and we're we're talking about European players, exactly. Not Mostly South European American players, because South American players will go to Mexico. For sure, questions asked. For sure, for sure. But again, like I think it comes from that the South American players have the word of mouth. They have the knowledge and understanding, and like maybe they had a teammate, you know, from back in the day from their youth team when they came up through Boca or through Independiente or whatever, who went to Mexico and had a great experience. You know, look, like. Yeah, I think you and I are in the same situation. Like we've also been to Mexico and had great experiences. Like we know it's fun. We know it's cool. We know the you know like some of the the, the bad headlines that Mexico gets. Some of them are not warranted, right? Some of them are undeserved. But if you're from Europe and your perspective is, oh, I could go to the U.S. or I could go to Mexico, I just think that the the U.S. already has a lot of advantages built in, and Mexico probably isn't doing enough to counteract that to win these player recruitment battles. Now and then, Tigres signs Gignac or Florentovin or whoever, but. More teams need to do that if Mexico wants to be a legitimate destination for international players. And it's not making it any easier because their foreign player spots are getting reduced, right? So that could be good. It could work out well for the league. It could work out well for player production. But for player recruitment, for being that kind of international globalized league, I'm not so sure. Maybe that's not the goal, and that's fine. But if that is the goal, I do think MLS has a huge leg up. Now, how hard is it to come to Mexico and then become a domestic player? Do you, is it, because I know in the U.S., as long as you have your green card in MLS, you don't count as an international player. What is the process in Liga MX? Is it, is it so, nothing until you become a citizen? The thing is, in, in Mexico, the way the rule is being written, from what I understand, this is a change that, that Miguel Arriola, the new president, uh, passed with the owners. Of course, the owners run everything. If you're listening to this podcast, you already know that. Uh, it's players formed in Mexico. It's not international players. It's players formed in Mexico. So you have homegrown. Homegrown. You have the homegrowns. You have the guys from the from the uh, from the Fuerzas Básicas. So there's really no way, from my understanding. Now, eventually, yeah, I think you can get the passport and start to count as Mexican. But at least for the the way that the rules are structured now, my understanding is it's players formed in Mexico. Is that why uh, Rafael Baca is about to win Cruz Azul as a foreigner, even though he's Mexican? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> no, you get yeah. some weird. You get some weird loopholes too. Um, I think it's uh, Bofo Sacedo from Pumas. He went to Villarreal when he was under eighteen, or not Villarreal to Veracruz. Sorry, teams die, and then I just forget about him. Rest in peace. Uh, yeah, Rest yeah. in peace. Uh, but since he had that stint with Veracruz before he turned 18, he counts as a player formed in Mexico. He doesn't count as an international. So there are weird things that happen. And you look, like you know, there's plenty of U.S. born kids who are over there in Mexican systems right now at the age 16, 17, 18. Whether FIFA likes that or not, that's the current reality. So uh, there's other players who fall into that category. But but yeah, it's 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 an interesting qualification. Oh, and then I remember there was a big old thing. I forget who wrote it, but uh, when Tijuana was signing all these 16, 17, 18-year-olds who would move to Tijuana become, because their parents obviously were Mexican, Mexican and these kids were Mexican-American, there was like that really gray area where is this an international transfer 
or is it not because they're they can count as a mexican citizens it's yeah i think it's article 18 of fifa where it basically says you can't you can't go across and sign a pro deal until you're 18 but if you if you live within 75 miles of the border i think you're good i don't know it's like it is very complicated so uh yeah i mean all that to say I don't know that the European players who come across will be able to somehow count as Mexican anytime before they end up getting a Mexican passport, which is not easy to do. I mean, it takes time. It just takes time, right? Yeah, because I mean, MLS has you know eight international spots for team, but I mean, I'm looking at the fire. They they have three internet, three or four international players that got their green cards the last six months, and you know they don't know, they no longer they count as domestic players after that. So you know you have eight international spots but that can be easily manipulated in mls so i was just curious to see if teams can manipulate that in uh, mexico but it doesn't seem they can at least not as easily um one thing i want to talk to you about is i know you cover fc dallas you got you live in dallas you cover it for striker texas uh, i'm really interested mostly because i play a lot of football manager mm-hmm. and i'm really interested by the fc dallas plan how they they have like they have to have almost up to thirty homegrown signings in the last fit ten years, you know. But they just have a very interesting model where they don't they 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 will sign these kids at fifteen, sixteen, put them on their second team, you know, on their on North Texas SC, just because they know if they don't sign these kids at fifteen, sixteen, these kids are going to leave for free. So it, uh, can you speak a little bit about their, their, mo- their player model? Yeah, it happened. Yeah. Weston McKinney. Now he's one of the best players for the U.S. men's national team. Obviously, plays for Juventus, played for Schalke, uh, signed for Schalke when he was 18, and I think that sort of put the fear of God in FC Dallas quite a bit. And they were like, "We gotta." I mean, happened with the Emerson Heinemann, right? Yeah, Heinemann as well. Who was actually the coach's son, and then left after yeah. the coach <laughs> got booted. So fair enough. But you know, this happens FC Dallas, and I think now they they see the value of this talent. You have players like Chris Richards. Uh, who signed for Bayern without playing a single minute for FC Dallas's first team or second team. You had Justin Shea, who looks like he's going to sign with Bayern right now, who played for FC Dallas's second team last season but never made a first-team appearance. But, yeah, basically the idea is, hey, we've got really talented kids in this academy. Let's sign them up as quickly as possible and shop them. And they, they have this deal with Bayern where kids go over there and train. It's good for FC Dallas because the kids who don't make the Bayern squad get training from Bayern Munich, you know, not a bad club to get some education from. And then you have. But it helps with player recruitment too. And, if, yeah. you're, if you're, if you can sign with 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 them, Houston, you're gonna go with you know, you're gonna go with uh, Dallas just because hey, they got a deal with FC, with Bayern, and I can go train them. No, over. absolutely. And then and then they've signed multiple players, so it's it's a pipeline. I think the issue that FC Dallas runs into is that their first team doesn't benefit from the the players that are being produced as much as the as other teams that are have great academies because FC Dallas is so eager and so willing to sell so early. So the question is like how does FC Dallas's first team compete? Because I think like in Pachuca in Mexico, right? It's the same idea, but Chucky and Guti stay long enough to win a title and win the CCL. Whereas that didn't happen in Dallas, right? These kids are going younger, which is good. You get the money because the European teams are going to spend bigger for a kid who's 16 than a kid who's 20. It's also part of the issue with with and with Mexican teams, right? Dallas keeps a percentage, right? Dallas keeps generally. A I mean, it depends on how they it depends on how they structure the deal, but they 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 certainly structure the deal like with Chris Richards. I I think it's uh it's maybe a third or even higher, so like they definitely get something if Byron moves him in the next few years. But like 
you know, Mexico, it's the opposite issue, right? Like we're talking about Macias. Oh, he didn't have the tournament. He maybe needed to jump to Europe, but really should have jumped to Europe already one or two years ago, right? Lainez does it by kind of forcing his hand. Pesuto, you know, I think it's funny because he's getting criticized for doing it, but he was injured and like then the, his... I'm I'm still shocked he did it because he he had a broken leg. Yeah, when he and signed. his league his league on team wins the title. Okay, maybe he didn't play, but he learned some stuff this year. I guarantee it, right? I guarantee that he learned stuff that he maybe wouldn't have learned if he was suiting up for a Pachuca or or whoever. In his case, it was Pachuca. So, you know, I, I think like there is a balance to be struck. FC Dallas is at one extreme, and a lot of Mexican clubs are at the other extreme. You know, we can the list goes on of players in Liga Mekis who could have or should have gone to Europe, didn't. And now it seems like they're just going to be Liga Mekis players for the rest of their lives. Jesus Gallardo, you know, like that's a guy who had European interests before and after the 2018 World Cup. Instead, he ends up at Rayados. So it's like a different, it's just a different idea. And I think with Dallas, they're at the extreme. But I think other MLS clubs are also there. You know, Red Bull is a good example as well, where they have a partner club in Europe. You see them move players, eagerly move players to Europe, get the money and benefit. Philly, Top Academy, really, really good young players being produced there. They sell off Brendan Aronson to to the Red Bull system. They sell off Mark McKenzie to Genk in Belgium. Okay, their team's not as good. Last year they won the Supporters' Shield. This year they probably won't win anything, although they're still live in the CCL semifinals. But I think like FC Dallas is absolutely the kind of the the extreme where it's like, hey, there's talented young kids in our backyard. Let's get them in, coach them up, and then ship them out. And and that's what they do, right? And there's no pressure like there is in Mexico to keep players. Because, sadly, the market well, Mexico, is big, right? People are not like, you got to keep this yeah. player. We got we to gotta win a trophy. That pressure doesn't yeah. exist in Dallas. And then Dallas also has the pressure of these kids going to Mexico, right? Some of these kids have the option of, hey, my parents born in Mexico. I can easily get a Mexican passport. You know, I, can, I have options. Worse. So it's, it's a double-edged sword, but... I find it interesting that with MLS changing some of the homegrown rules where these comp- where these clubs will keep 100% of the transfer revenue now, it's almost like MLS is incentivizing these clubs to sell earlier than before. Yeah, absolutely. They are. I mean, it's a, they want to become a selling league. All right, real quick, let's um, talk a little bit your specialty, Jen. CONCACAF, before we get into CONCACAF, tell us about, uh, I mean, I'm a big fan of the newsletter. I always learn random, random shit about yeah. your, your <laughs> tiny country, countries that Mexico never plays because they don't make it to the to the hex. But uh, tell us about your newsletter, man. Yeah, I got a newsletter called Getting CONCACAF. I started last year just to have a place to tell some of those stories because I think they're worth telling. It's, it's just a fun uh, thing. Not always. Sometimes there's difficult moments. Haiti's FA president being a total... Uh, terrible creep allegedly uh like you know there's difficult things but those are the things around the region that i just don't think people really hear about you know mexico fans went and played haiti's u23 team in a, in a friendly before the olympic qualification tournament and like i'm talking like legitimately just mexico fans yes out of shape fans i saw some of those yeah, you know look i mean yeah the the, the, the images don't lie the scoreline didn't lie they lost by i think it was 12-0 it's been a while since i wrote that now but you know like yeah, it was double digits. Those are the stories that I just think, you know, this happens in CONCACAF. And because of the media ecosystem, the way that it works in the U.S., the way that it works in Mexico, a lot of these stories don't get told or they get told, but they get brushed over. So this is a place where I, I you know, when I'm able to, I, I try and dig deeper. And so uh, I love exposing those stories. I'm glad you dig it. I also launched uh, a new sort of feature uh, called Mexico Monday, where I'm going to be digging into the national team of Liga Mekis, because in the same way that some of these stories from Haiti, from Belize, from from El Salvador, from Curacao, from Canada, don't get covered in 
the mainstream sports press in the U.S. and, and Mexico, Mexico and English doesn't get covered that well either. You know, you're doing a good job. There's a lot of people doing a good job. I, I when I worked at Goal, I'd like to think I did a good job. You know, Tom at ESPN did a great job, but uh, there's not a lot of places right now. So I'm adding a component every Monday where I'll be writing about the Mexican national team, the Mexican league, and also including uh, what I'm calling the Conca catch up to kind of get people up to speed on what's going on in the CONCACAF region and some of the more obscure parts. But uh, that that is the premium edition of getting CONCACAF. Uh, the newsletter is 5 bucks a month or $50 a year. So hopefully people will dig that and, and enjoy because I think, you know, the more spaces we have where we're talking about Mexico in English in an intelligent way, uh, the better. So th- that, that's going to be my effort. We'll see how intelligent my writing is. Y'all can be the judge of that. But uh, But yeah, man. Yeah, every single time I, I read that and I learn something, like whether it's whether it's hey Puerto Rico has a team and Dave Sarek <laughs> yep. is a coach, it's like what the hell, you know things like that. And it's just it's I, I mean it's always it's literally like the only newsletter that when I get it, I read it. Immediately. I appreciate it. I mean I sign up for other newsletters and I oh I'll get to it I'll get to it when I get to it. It's like nah, John's comes through is like all right let me learn something because like you said the, the region is. It's it's be it's bigger than just Mexico, Costa Rica, United States, Canada. You know, it's bigger than that. So, it's a, it's it's a huge region. It's and it's once you read your your stuff, you learn why things happen mm. in the region. Because then you realize, oh, you know what? It's the region is bigger than these four countries, and the reason these smaller Caribbean countries is because well, they all get one vote. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So that's why certain things happen in the region because. You take yeah, and you think time. about like I, I did a piece on Anguilla, the smallest, uh, one of the smallest teams, the worst ranked team in CONCACAF, the second worst ranked team in the world. And it's like their interests are very different than Mexico's, right? Like if you said like, like if you proposed, hey, let's have like my proposal, let's have the Gold Cup every every two years instead of or every four years instead of every two years. Or like if we made the Gold Cup, it'd be a party. It'd be our, our best moment ever. We need all the chances we can get, right? Their interests are not the same as Mexico's. Their interests are not the same as the U.S. So you definitely get some of that. And, and I try and dig into now and then some of the politics when it's relevant, but it's also not the most fun part of what we do. So, uh, yeah, man, I appreciate you appreciate you checking it out, and I'm glad to hear you open it when it, when it hits the inbox. Always learn something new. Um, let's just stay in the region here real quick for the last couple of minutes. Um, so who is going? who do you think is going to join uh, Mexico, Honduras, USA, Costa Rica, and Jamaica and what I'm calling them, the Concacaf because <laughs> they're going to be fighting it out. I mean, that's that's. I think I, I've been calling it the octagonal, but I appreciate the the octagon uh, <laughs> moniker. I'm sure UFC. I'm sure UFC will sue, will sue me for saying that. <laughs> Hopefully but, uh, they don't. Although I, I do think Dayton White is probably listening. Um, so I, I think like so. There's 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 a there's qualification happening right now. The winners of these groups are going to play each other. And then the winners of those two-legged games are going to go into the octagon. I think right now, Group A is led by Antigua and Barbuda. I think that El Salvador gets out of that group. Group B, Canada goes. Sorry, Suriname. They look really good. You can read about them soon on something I write. Group C, I think Curaçao wins over Guatemala. Group D, Panama over Dominican Republic. And Group E, Group E is weird because you got Nicaragua, Belize, Haiti, all on three points. And one team bounced. St. Lucia just took off. They're like, nah, we're out. They withdrew. So I actually, 
Yeah, they just left. Before their first match, they just went through the competition. Which their players are pissed, understandably so, because they're like, we want to try and qualify for the World Cup. No, sorry. I, I think Nicaragua could be a spoiler here. Haiti's the big, big favorite. I think Nicaragua could get in, in Group F is a total mess. No one knows what's happening there. I sort of think Trinidad and Tobago will get through, but then I think they'll probably lose in that first game. So I- I'm trying to make sense of it in my head. I-, I go El Salvador from that Group A versus Group F. B, E, I, I think Canada's almost for sure through. They're definitely the strongest team I see in this group. Alfonso Davies, Jonathan David by that point, hopefully. Uh, Canada's roster should come out tomorrow. So uh, you got some really, really good players there. And uh, I heard one of the Canadian guys, one of the beat guys up there, I, I, I hit him up and I was like, hey, is there any chance? And um, what's his face? That, Flores. Uh, Marcelo Flores gets called up and he said... No. For the roster tomorrow, he's at point one nah, chance. No he way. Gets no up, way. So. I mean, look, like yeah. Canada is, is like if you were playing for some of these really small countries, yeah, sure. But but Canada's at a point where they're not going to be calling up youth players. I mean, he's still he's still a youth player. I mean, even though you know, and, and a youth player who probably wants to keep his options open, right? So I think that probably goes into it as well. Yeah, I mean, he was supposed to go to the uh, the camp mm-hmm. in January before he got mm-hmm. hurt at Arsenal. So no, I think it's a very interesting. Uh, yeah, it is. It is. They, Might be more on that in my newsletter as well. <laughs> Keep a keep an eye out. Keep an eye out. It's a, it's a teaser. Uh, so teaser. I think it's El Salvador, Canada, and Curacao. Those are my picks. Uh, and Curacao is obviously an interesting one because their population is less than two hundred thousand. But when you look at the first of all, they're being coached by coached by Goose Hiddink, who is actually not going to be in the June games because of uh, COVID nineteen. He's still recovering, bouncing back from from the virus. Patrick Clivert's taking them over. And he and didn't he take that job in a very interesting? Yeah, it was. I think I read that. Yeah, that newsletter. was in the newsletter. So I, I, I was somewhat friendly with the previous coach of Curacao. I covered him for several years. And uh, he kind of let me know, hey, I actually found out about this from my my daughter texted me that she saw a news story <laughs> oh, wow. that he was being replaced. And he had actually gone to Hitting and asked for like mentorship and asked for advice. Yeah. So they actually story. ended up settling outside of court um, or actually they went to court and then settled. Um, so it was really ugly. Bicentini, Remco Bicentini, the former coach, who, again, I, I mean, I, I think he's a really good guy. I think he's a really good coach. He was doing some work with Canada, actually. So I'm not sure if that's going to continue or what. But, again, I think that those are some up-and-comers in, in CONCACAF when you look at Canada. They're already there. I mean, they have the squad. Their development all hit at the right time. And, they, and Davies is such a prolific talent that we're still at the round of qualification where one outstanding player alone can get you into the next round and you already have Davies and then you're adding probably Jonathan David and then you've got a big, you know, core of guys that are in MLS. So do you think Canada is the one team that isn't already in the octagon that has a chance to make it the world? Yeah, Cup? definitely. I mean, Curacao, look, it'd be a cool story, but I think like their defense is still too iffy. They've added a couple of reinforcements there, but I think teams are going to score on Curacao relatively easily once they get to that final eight teams. I just don't think they have the steel that they need in the middle. Their attack also has some questions, but they'll score goals, but they'll also ship a lot of goals. Panama, I think, is in a rough time. I don't think they'll get back. Uh, I, you know, I just don't think they're there. I think they're that generation that got them to the 2018 World Cup is gone. And there are new players coming through, but they're not coming through quickly enough to get to this World Cup. And Canada's there. Like, the team is just, it's there. Their defense is a question, too. They, whew, that, that, that loss to Haiti at the Gold Cup in 2019 was oh. embarrassing because they should not have lost yeah, that game. That and they just folded. They just, they just, 
they essentially didn't quit, but they like they just got played off the pitch in the second half, basically. I mean, there were some flukes, there were some weird moments, but like you can't lose that game if you're Canada and you have these aspirations to be a great team. But I do think, yeah, they're probably the team that's going to be able to to get into the top three or four of the CONCACAF octagon and either make the World Cup or get in that playoff spot. But, I mean, who you take out, right? Like, I think Mexico looks really good. I think U.S. looks really good. Costa Rica, they're sort of in that Panama boat where, like, they have a lot of older guys. They don't necessarily... They got Kilo Navas, though. He's injured injured right now. Not for Nations League. They don't have him. No, they should have him for qualification, though. So, I think... Like Costa Rica is in a better place than Panama, no doubt, 100%. But they're in the same mo- sort of moment where like so a lot of the veterans the are there. They're in the same part exactly. of the cycle. But yeah. I do think like their younger players are coming on even more quickly. Manfred Gualde, Jurgens Montenegro, Farron, the center back from, from Liga. You know, these are good players. These are players who, who will be able to do the job. And you have the still veteran experience of a Brian Ruiz, et cetera, et cetera, which Panama doesn't have because a lot of those guys have retired or are just so they've lost so many steps that it doesn't make any sense to call them in anymore. So I think Costa Rica does get in as well. And then number four, yeah, that spot is there. I mean, is it Canada? Is it Curacao? I mean, that's the one where it's like, ah, anything could happen here. Something weird will a hundred percent happen in qualification. So 100%, 100%. Maybe that's, maybe that's what's up. All right. Well, Yo, thanks for coming on, John. It's always a, it's always a blast to have you on. It's, it's going to be a really packed summer, so we'll probably have you on again. So if anyone listening to this, make sure you check out John's newsletter. I highly recommend you take it for a test drive and then you know punk down your five bucks because it's, it's, it's great. If you want to stay up to date on everything in the whole region, not just Mexico and the United States. Yeah, don't forget the free list is still free. Everything that I've been doing for the past year is still out there for free. I know everybody's asking you for five bucks here, 10 bucks here, 50 bucks here. Look, if you don't want to pay, I get it. No worries. Just sign up for the free one. That also helps me and lets me know that people are into these stories. I, I had a fun time coming on, man. Uh, and hopefully next time we'll get even deeper on Mexico. I know we kind of ran ran a little short on time to actually talk L3, but we'll do it soon. And also people can follow my work. Uh, again, follow, follow that Mexico Monday. Get some Mexico national team thoughts or follow me on Twitter. And, and I'm always chatting about L3 there. But uh, I appreciate the invite. And we'll talk soon, man. All right. Thanks for listening, guys.